Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and physical therapy pearls of wisdom to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is really to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. All right, listeners, it is the day before my birthday. <laughs> and I'm so excited because this new platform is out here for everyone to experience. And if you really want to gift me something on my birthday, rather than just saying happy birthday or sending some love, what would really mean the most to me is going to check out gen.health. So if you haven't done that yet, Go check it out, grab your free week trial and actually try some of the plans. See what they feel like in your body. Save some videos, go to the search, explore and tell us what you're loving and what's working. This is what's gonna help us to make this best platform and that's really what's going to make it the best year ever for me. So if you wanna wish me a happy birthday, just go check out jen.health. In today's interview, we have Jesse Inchowski, who's on a mission to translate cutting-edge science into easy advice to help people improve their physical and mental health. She's the founder of the wildly popular Instagram account, Glucose Goddess, where she teaches hundreds of thousands of people about healthy food habits. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree in mathematics from King's College London and a Master of Science degree in biochemistry from Georgetown University. Her work at a genetic analysis startup in Silicon Valley made her realize that as the key to good health, food habits beat genetics. In her first book, Glucose Revolution, Jessie shares her startling discovery about the essential role of blood sugar in every aspect of our lives, from cravings to fertility and the surprising hacks to optimize it while still eating the foods we love. And I want to emphasize that still eating the foods we love because Jessie talks about how she loves cake and chocolate. And we talk about my obsession with acai bowls, but Really, she gives so many hacks throughout this podcast upcoming on how you can continue to approach your food a little more strategically and live life to the fullest. Let's get to it. Jesse, how's it been now that your book is out, Glucose Revolution? I am so excited, one, to get my hands on this and be able to read all the good <laughs> things. But how exciting that this is out for you and this is happening. I know. I'm just, I can't believe it. It's so many years of work coming to fruition and it feels really good and it feels like it's going to have a huge impact on the world, which, uh, yeah, I'm super grateful and excited. Well, I know it's going to have such a huge impact on the world, especially because, I mean, even Jen and myself, uh, as two people who are newbies in our <laughs> yeah. own continuous glucose monitor journeys and and learning all about how we can do different things and how you can make tiny little changes to impact your glucose. We're, we're excited to dive into that and continue to learn and just to continue to learn about how it impacts our health in so many different ways. Um, but I kind of want to start with what initially got you so interested in this field uh, to eventually turn you into the glucose goddess now as you're known <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> Um, so I never, you know, I never decided one day, okay, today's the day I become the glucose goddess. <laughs> it kind of just, uh, it kind of happened. Um, my health journey started when I was a teenager, actually. Uh, I was 19 and I had a really bad accident, a diving accident, mm. and I broke my back. So one of my vertebrae 
exploded into 13 pieces. And after that, I had intense surgery. Physically, I was fine pretty quickly, but mentally I struggled for a long, long, long time. I just felt really anxious, depressed, um, not in my body, unable to be alone. I was really suffering mentally. And at that young age of 19, it became very clear to me that if you don't have your health, physical or mental, you have nothing. It's really the basis of a, of a happy life. And so I went on a journey to try to figure out how I could feel good again, because I felt so broken. And my body had become this sort of alien that I didn't understand. I didn't know how to take care of it. I didn't know why I was suffering and how to get back on track to just wake up in the morning feeling good. So the, the way I tried to solve this issue for myself was one, I went to grad school to study biochemistry. And I thought, you know, I'm going to learn a lot about the body and our cells and how it all works. After that was done, I moved to Silicon Valley and I worked in the field of genetics for five years. And again, I thought that genetics would be able to give me the solution, would be able to tell me what I needed to do to feel better. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, while it was very interesting, it didn't really answer that question for me. However, while I was there working in genetics in Silicon Valley, I had the opportunity to try on a device that you guys have been wearing for two weeks now, <laughs> yeah. as you told me. Uh, so a continuous glucose monitor, which is a little device that you wear on the back of your arm that had been for years uh, used only by people with diabetes to measure continuously their blood sugar levels. And I put it on as part of an experiment. I really didn't know what would happen if I would even find it cool. But the moment that I saw my glucose levels on my phone after scanning the device, a light bulb went off above my head. You know, I was like, oh my God, I can finally see what's happening under my skin. Mm. My body is finally able to give me feedback and to show me how my choices are impacting it on the inside. I became very, very interested in understanding my glucose levels. And then another thing happened that really cemented this for me. One day I was just going about my day and I had an episode of these mental health issues that I was experiencing since my accident. I call them feeling split, um, but clinically they're called depersonalization. Mm -hmm. And so I feel this, um, this event coming on and I feel that I, my mental health is just going down the toilet. And then I scan my glucose monitor out of habit because I had been doing it for a while now. And I saw that my glucose was just registering one of the biggest spikes I had ever seen. I went up to 180 milligrams per deciliter, which is really, really, really high. And in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I found a trigger wow. for my suffering. I found that this glucose spike can actually be triggering these mental health problems. And so from then on, I mean, I just went out, went on to understand everything I could about glucose and I was able to heal myself with really easy tips that I learned from the science. That is, that is so wild and such a amazing tool though, to be able to actually see this is why I'm feeling this way. And I think a lot of people, you know, they go to the doctors and they're telling them what they're feeling and they're telling them what they're experiencing. And I think a lot of people feel dismissed, you know? And mm -hmm. so to actually be able to find something that can 
help and provide guidance along the way. That's that's so that's so amazing. And I remember the first time I shared about wearing this on Instagram and I got a comment like, I'm diabetic and I don't know why anyone who isn't diabetic would ever want to wear one of these. <laughs> and so it's just so interesting that, you know, it's still something that it's so it's so new and it's such an interesting health revolution. I mean, that's your book, Glucose Revolution. But it, it is something that I think is still so new for people to understand that us, anyone outside of having diabetes or being diagnosed can still benefit in so many ways from, I mean, you help so much in terms of skin. You're talking about skin, PCOS, fertility, cravings, all of these things and then mental health. It's its so incredible what this can really do. Now, have you found it to be hard for people? Like, can it potentially increase someone with like an eating disorder or just checking it too much, being increased anxiety in any way? Mm. So I just want to go back one second to um, the thing you said about the person with diabetes yeah. telling you, you would, they would, they don't know why you would wear that. And then I'll come back to your question because it's a really important one. So for a long time, we thought, I mean, the scientific community at large, the medical community really was certain that only people with diabetes, so type 1, type 2, maybe prediabetes, should care about their glucose levels. We thought, unless you have one of these conditions, your glucose levels are steady. You don't have to worry about it. Like, you're fine. But about five years ago, um, a few teams, a few scientific teams across the world found that actually that's not true. They found that 90% of people without diabetes experience glucose spikes every day. And these spikes can take you up into a range that was previously thought to only be attainable by diabetics. And these spikes have consequences. And as you mentioned, Jen, these consequences, I mean, we're all very familiar with them. Maybe it's acne, maybe it's wrinkles, maybe it's 3 p.m. cravings, maybe it's 11 a.m. sleepiness, fatigue, hormonal issues like polycystic ovarian syndrome, weight gain that we don't understand, inflammation, skin conditions, and then long-term, the development of chronic diseases. So the evidence, it's really there now, but for a long time we didn't know. So it's normal that people don't know this yet, and that's you know what I'm trying to help people yeah. understand because it's so important. Totally. Now to your question about eating disorders. So I think there's two things to, to realize here. One, you don't need to wear a glucose monitor to steady your glucose levels, avoid glucose spikes, and feel better. And in fact, I would say, you know, the vast majority of the people who follow my work, use my hacks, they don't wear a glucose monitor. Because what I've done is I've taken my own experience with the glucose monitor, I've crossed it with the science, and I've extracted these hacks that anybody can apply that are super easy and that help people heal um, quickly. So you don't need a glucose monitor. Now, I do think that if you can afford it, because right now they're quite expensive, everybody should try a glucose monitor because it's quite remarkable to see the impact of, your ha of the hacks in real time on your body. But of course, if you're somebody who has a history of eating disorder, if you're somebody who you know that you can become obsessive about numbers, whether it's your Fitbit or your scale or whatever, like be mindful of that because this is a device that is going to give you data 
constantly in real time for two weeks. So definitely it's very important to keep that in mind and to make an informed choice um, if you're thinking of trying it. Yeah, I think that's so important to know. And I kind of like you said, it, just knowing yourself and where your tendencies lie can be huge coming into using a device like this and, and having intention on what you're going to do with the information that it gives you um, can be paramount because it, it's very easy to see the numbers and, and then get a little bit obsessive over the numbers. And and then that can push our behavior in certain ways. And one of the things that I really like personally about these types of bio devices that give me feedback as somebody who's done a lot of different kind of, you know, quote, body hacking or experimenting with my own body is a lot of the times I feel like it, it confirms the things that I know I, I, I might not be doing or might or maybe shouldn't be doing or <laughs> could, um, optimize. could optimize a little <laughs> bit more, you know, like, okay, maybe don't have the you know, 10 dates and a couple big scoops of peanut butter right before I go to bed and maybe don't, you know, <laughs> eat two extra large smoothie bowls right in a row. And um, so so I, I really like that it kind of confirms some of the things I can do, but then helps me, you know, motivate me to take more action on it and, and then see the results. And then I can take ownership over, okay, like I'm doing some things different and I'm seeing the results now. Um, you kind of mentioned that it can be detrimental to have these big spikes, right? And I want to kind of dive a little bit more in on the nuances of that because I think generally we hear these numbers. If anyone's ever explored this or used one of these devices, they say, oh, you should stay between 70 and 140. And I just kind of want to ask you what what constitutes a spike? Is it bad if we spike above 140 and it comes back down immediately? What would you define as something that is a spike that we should try to avoid? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're lacking a lot of a lot more scientific studies on this, but from what we know, from the studies done in people without diabetes, it appears that you should strive to avoid a spike of more than 30 milligrams per deciliter after a meal. So, you know, if you spike, if you're at, let's say if your baseline is 80 and you spike to 150, well, that's too much. And that's definitely in the spike zone. If your baseline is 80 and you spike to hundred, that's good. It's underneath the spike zone. But keep in mind that it's a spectrum, right? It's not like if your spike is 29 milligrams per deciliter, you're fine. And then if it hits 31, all of a sudden, all this crazy stuff starts happening on the inside. It's a spectrum. You want to keep it as steady as possible. And I think if you're putting a device, a glucose monitor on for the first time, what's really important is to look at where you are, just sort of eat your normal diet, see how big your spikes are, and then try to use the hacks I share to reduce those spikes. And you don't have to try to hit a specific number or become obsessed with the data. What I really encourage people to do is to just try to improve a few of your body's responses to your meals. Like I really believe in this being a gentle thing. I don't believe in telling people you have to stay between 70 and 90 at all times. I don't think that's realistic. I think it, it turns the thing into something obsessive that shouldn't be there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. And I mm-hmm. and I and I like that you approach it from more of that like just understanding how much it's going out rather than then trying to force yourself into a box essentially yeah. that you know we're human and we're not always <laughs> data. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And you know, I have I mean, I have glucose spikes. 
it's okay. I'm not, I, my glucose levels are not completely flat. And when I eat a piece of cake, I know my, my glucose is going to spike, but since I put some clothes on it, which is one of my hacks, mm. I know the spike is smaller than it would have been if I, if I had had the cake on its own. So even though I might see an increase of, I don't know, 40 milligrams per deciliter, I still feel okay about it because I know it could have been much worse if I hadn't used the hacks. So everything is relative. And I, I, I think, you know, there's space for positivity in all of this. And we want to make sure we're kind to ourselves and we're doing something that feels fun and exciting. And we don't put this device on just to feel bad about ourselves. And for anyone out there who's interested in trying one of these continuous glucose monitors, Jen and I have been using NutriSense. And we absolutely love it because you actually get access to a registered dietitian who can kind of talk you through your results, maybe give you some tips and tricks along the way based on your meals, based on your activity choices. So if you go to NutriSense and use code OPTIMAL, you can actually get $50 off the first month. And this isn't something that we even make any commissions on, but super nice of NutriSense to give us a code to give our listeners $50 off their first month. So we would always encourage, go try it out, see what the information says, see what your blood glucose is doing when you make certain food choices, when you eat certain things, and it can just empower you to continue to make more educated food habit decisions in the future. Let's get back to the interview. Totally. Okay, so now, Jen, make a note, we need to carry on a packet of cloves everywhere along with our flask of apple cider vinegar. <laughs> it's clothes, Dominic. It's clothes. Yeah, Sorry, my French clothes. accent. I thought, you said, I thought you said cloves. I'm just like cloves. All right. I'm going to sprinkle cloves on everything. No, my French accent is, my French accent is betraying me. So basically the hack is, the hack is don't let your carbs be naked. Okay. So put yeah. some clothes on them. Clothes. How do you say clothes? I can't say it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it, I heard it Help correctly. Me. That yeah. was hilarious. My bad. I was over here starting to eat some cloves uh, raw. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, but for, and, you know, so for people listening, they're like, what are they talking about? So clothes that you put on your carbs are protein, fat, or fiber. So for example, on my chocolate cake, I would put some Greek yogurt, maybe a little bit of almond butter, that adds in protein um, and fat into the mix. And as a result, any carbs that you eat, they won't create as big of a glucose spike because the protein, fat, or fiber that come along with it in your stomach and into your intestine slows down the speed at which the glucose makes it through your system. So the delivery is less intense and it's, uh, it's slower, so you create less of a spike. And so, yes, you ate your chocolate cake, but also you avoided having cravings two hours later, feeling exhausted 90 minutes after eating it. You mm. avoided more inflammation. You avoided uh, increasing aging. You, you still ate the cake that you loved, but you did it in a way that's better for your body. And that's the core tenet of my philosophy, which is you can eat everything you love. Just learn about the hacks so you can eat them in a way that's going to be more protective to your biology. I mean, that's huge. And I know you, you go through 10 different hacks in your book, which, and you go through them in detail, really explaining what they're going to, what they're going to do for your body. So I think that's so valuable for anyone to be able to get your hands on, because like you said, this doesn't have to be a restrictive thing. And I think sometimes when people are addressing glucose, it, it becomes a little, well, can I never have carbs again? And what about the sugary treats that I like to eat? And what, what did you find that really helped? I mean, I know, you know, like you said, throwing almond butter or 
get it, having Greek yogurt with it can kind of help to dress it. Um, are there other hacks that really help when it comes to wanting the dessert or wanting the sugary treat? Mm-hmm. Yes, there are. So often when I'm walking around during the day between meals, I'll walk past a really nice bakery or a place that has some delicious chocolatey things. And by now you know that I'm obsessed with chocolate. <laughs> and in the past, what I would do is I would just buy it and eat it between my meals. And now what I understood from the glucose science is that it's much better for your body if you buy the thing, but then you save it for dessert after your next meal. So now if I see a cookie that I love and it's 11 a.m., I buy it, but I eat it for dessert after my lunch. Mm. And by doing this, it's kind of the same concept is that the food that's in your stomach and your intestine from the meal is going to act as a buffer for anything sweet you might eat afterwards. And as a result, that sweet thing will create less of a glucose spike in your body and you'll suffer fewer consequences. That's one of them. So have a dessert instead of a sweet snack. Then there are a few others that people love and that I love too. (laughs) One is vinegar. Mm. So vinegar, when I discovered the scientific studies that had done these placebo double-blind trials on vinegar and glucose, I was completely shocked, guys, completely. It turns out that if you have vinegar before you eat something sweet, you can cut the glucose spike of that sweet thing by up to 30%. Wow. Just by drinking a glass of water with a tablespoon of vinegar in it. And it can be any type of vinegar. My favorite is apple cider vinegar just because it tastes better, but a lot of people use any different, any other kinds of vinegar. Just avoid balsamic because that one has extra sugar in it. So if you eat this vinegar drink up to 30 minutes before eating the sweet thing, you curb the glucose spike. And I was like, how on earth does this, does this thing work? It's so strange. It's such a weird discovery. And actually there are two mechanisms that explain biochemically what's going on. The first one is that there's this molecule in vinegar called acetic acid. And acetic acid, when it's in your stomach, it slows down the breakdown of starch into glucose, which is part of digestion, which is what happens before a glucose spike happens. Your starches and your sugars get turned into glucose in your stomach. So it slows down the action of the enzyme that does this breakdown. So the breakdown happens slower, so glucose arrives more slowly into your bloodstream. Second, the acetic acid goes to your muscles and it gives them a simple instruction. It tells your muscles to soak up glucose as it arrives into your bloodstream and to store it in your muscles as quickly as possible instead of letting it just float around in your bloodstream. So now we have this perfect situation where one, the breakdown of glucose is slower. And two, as soon as glucose arrives in your bloodstream, it gets soaked up by these hungry muscles. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, the glucose spike is smaller. Mm -hmm. And there are even studies that show that just adding a vinegar drink a couple of times a day can reduce testosterone in women, which is one of the main drivers of polycystic ovarian syndrome, can help people who have type 2 diabetes start reversing their condition. It's really, really powerful. And it's kind of the closest thing to the silver bullet that you might find in the world of glucose. Wow. <laughs> this is 
where Jen and I are joking now that we're carrying around a <laughs> diluted water bottle of apple cider vinegar everywhere, just just in case we're going to go into a restaurant and say, okay, let's each take a swig before we go in. Yes. But <laughs> and actually, now I ask, you know, restaurants usually have vinegar, so I'll just ask for some vinegar when I'm ordering food and then I make myself a little vinegar drink. Oh, I think perfect. it's going to become very popular. I have a hunch it'll be ubiquitous in a few years. I think so. Oh, and then I can tell you guys about the other thing I do um, after I eat something sweet, which has to do with muscles. Can you guess? Yes. Do you do 10 burpees? <laughs> I mean, you can. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Go work out. <laughs> so your muscles are actually your best friends when it comes to curbing a glucose spike. And that's because muscles, when they contract, they need energy. And the easiest place they find energy is in your bloodstream and they just use glucose to make energy. So as a result, if there's a glucose spike happening slowly in your system and then you start contracting your muscles, your muscles will soak up the glucose to make energy and pull it out of the bloodstream. As a result, you have a smaller spike. Mm. So it's kind of similar to how, you know, the vinegar tells your muscles to soak up excess glucose and store it. It's a bit similar because here your muscles are soaking up glucose, not to store it, but quote unquote, to use it or burn it to make energy. So one of my hacks is after your meals, use your muscles for 10 minutes. And it can be literally anything. Before this podcast, I was just dancing. I was, mm. I, got, I don't know, I was like, I want to dance. So I just put on my favorite song and started dancing. But I'll do that after a meal. I'll just put on three songs I love and like move around. Or you can do the laundry, the dishes, clean your apartment, um, go for a walk with your dog, do 10 burpees if you're Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, any of the above. Or if you're watching TV after dinner, do some push ups, do some tricep dips off the side of your couch, you know, hold a boat pose, whatever. And by doing this, you're going to help your body process the meal better, avoid the big glucose spike. And so you'll help your body just have fewer of the consequences. I mean, that's huge and probably what, you know, why we get stuck in ordering dessert after waiting for a while at a restaurant because you're just sitting. You're not moving. Mm -hmm. You have a big, huge meal where you have the appetizer and then the meal. And usually, especially you go to an Italian restaurant, it's going to be bread. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the first yeah. thing that gets brought up. And so, like, how would someone approach going going to an Italian restaurant and having mm. this experience of having bread come first? What do you recommend? Well, first, I will say that when the bread comes first, think about this. If you owned a restaurant and you were trying to get people to order dessert, as you yes. just said, Jen, you would 100% give them bread at the beginning because what's going to happen is that when you eat bread and that's going to be a naked carb and it's going to land in your empty stomach, it'll break down into glucose and then create a big glucose spike. And then as the starch gets broken down into glucose, it creates a big glucose spike. And as a result, 90 minutes later, there's going to be a glucose crash. And glucose crashes make us feel really hungry. They make us crave sweet foods. And this mm. has been proven scientifically by you know scientists studying people's brains. So 90 minutes in, which is probably about you know the time where they'll whip out the dessert menu if you're at an Italian restaurant, you'll really want to have dessert. So I think it's all on purpose. But whatever, maybe, maybe it's not, <laughs> but it's, it's quite ingenious. Like if I had a restaurant, that's right. what I would do. So if you're going to a restaurant and they're serving bread first, you know, keep the bread for after your main 
order as a starter something that's vegetable based. It can be anything. It can be a side salad, it can be a tomato mozzarella thing, it can be beans, it can be sauteed spinach, artichokes, hearts of palm, whatever, but something that is vegetable based. Because in vegetables, there's fiber. And fiber is another thing that really helps us um, handle glucose spikes better. If you eat fiber first, before anything else during a meal, the fiber is going to land in your stomach first, then your upper intestine, and there something magical is going to happen. The fiber is going to turn into a protective mesh, and it's going to line the sides of your intestine with this viscous protective mesh, and it's going to stay there for about two hours. Anything you eat afterwards that contains glucose, well, the glucose in that food is not going to be able to penetrate through the lining of your gut into your bloodstream as much because of the protective mesh. And that's why we want to have vegetables before anything else, because it reduces the glucose spike of the meal. That is, I mean, that's so fascinating and something that, you know, can easily be taken in and, and almost anywhere you can order vegetables. But now when you're out, does it matter if you are getting a salad that has dressing that might have sugar in it or that has cranberries or raisins? Um, does that make an impact on getting those veggies in? Well, honestly, you want to avoid that because what you're trying to do with this vegetable starter is reduce the glucose spike of the meal. The problem is if you have dried fruit in it, honey in the vinaigrette, like any kind of maple syrup, agave, whatever, then that's going to create a spike. So you're going to sort of cancel out the effect of the fiber. So definitely try to avoid anything sweet for your vegetable starter. And if you want to use an extra double hack combo, you can have a dressing that contains vinegar because you don't have Mm. to drink vinegar. You can also just drizzle it on your food and have a similar effect. Now, if you want to eat something sweet, which is totally fine, have it at the end of your meal, after the vegetable starter, after your proteins and your fats, after your starches. And yeah. make sure you sprinkle some cloves on it. Um. <laughs> yes, cloves. Yes, cloves. People are going to listen to this episode and be like, Jesse, what is this new hack that you, that you dropped on Jen's podcast? How cool. Right, right. <laughs> so I hope no one's confused. It's clothing, putting clothing, clothing. on your carbs. Oh my God, that's what I should say. I should just say clothing. Clothes. I keep saying clothes. Okay, clothing. Okay, I'm going to say that now. Yeah. So Done. I had a question kind of back to the, the muscle aspect and our muscles love to take that glucose, turn it into glycogen and do their work. And I have seen some of my biggest glucose spikes when I am playing basketball. I'm in a city basketball league and very intense sprint style sport. And I've heard that your glucose can go up during activity like that. But I've seen some of my biggest spikes during that. So I'm wondering, does that same 30 point rule kind of hold that you're hoping to not spike more than 30 points even during intense um, activity and exercise? So no. Spikes during exercise are totally good for us. And the reason is twofold. One, when you see a spike during a workout, that's actually not because you just ate something. It's because your muscles are hungry for energy and your liver is releasing stored glucose into your bloodstream. So you're using up your body's glucose reserves, which is good. Now, while this spike is going to be causing some side effects, 
um, notably, you know, inflammation, aging, etc. The fact that you're exercising is actually going to completely compensate for that. Mm-hmm. And overall, exercise is good for glucose regulation, good for our metabolism, good in slowing down aging, good in reducing inflammation. So you're totally, totally fine. But that's one of the things that can be confusing when you were a glucose monitor. You're like, is this bad? Should I stop exercising? And then you drink wine and your glucose stays steady and you're like, okay, so I get it. So no more basketball and lots of wine. (laughs) (laughs) That is so interesting. Are there other... I mean, I just heard that the other day too. Like, oh, actually, if you have wine first before your meal, it like can help to mitigate. Is that is that true? Like, if you have wine first, could it help? Okay, be very careful with that kind of stuff. And this is where, you know, uh, these are the limits of glucose monitoring and we have to really make sure people know what's going on. Yes. So, yes, let me take an example. If you're having a plate of pasta on its own, big glucose spike. If you have two glasses of wine, then the plate of pasta, there'll be a much smaller spike. Mm. So you might be thinking, okay, well, I guess I should be drinking alcohol all the time. That's actually not the case. The reason you're going to see less of a spike is because alcohol is a poison. Alcohol is going to completely overload your liver and it's going to make it so busy trying to deal with this poison that it can no longer do its main job, well, one of its main jobs, which is to release glucose into the bloodstream. So you will see a smaller spike, but it's not good. It's because your liver is suffering. So this is one of the cases where it's not good to add this Mm. particular ingredient to your meal to reduce the spike. It's better to just have the pasta on its own um, rather than to have it with wine. I had a question kind of relating to the vinegar aspect because you know, most people who talk about it say that you should be, you know, diluting it and drinking it just before the meal. Is it the same if you cook with vinegar? Does that impact the effect it has in the body? Because I've been trying to, you know, like cook veggies and make sure I add a little bit of vinegar to that. Does that have any sort of Hmm. effect? I actually don't know. We would just have to look it up. We'd have to see if the acetic acid, which is the molecule that has the impact, if it's harmed in any way by the cooking process yeah. if yeah. it breaks down um i'm sure we can find that information online actually but yeah. i think you know worst case scenario it, it doesn't work best case scenario it still works so i don't see any downsides to yeah. adding it yeah definitely now it, and also it probably tastes good so yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as far as alcohol goes and and looking at the spikes does that does that go across all fields of alcohol or is that just wine doesn't particularly spike it like what are other um alcohol intake that people might want to enjoy from time to time that Mm -hmm. isn't going to have a huge impact on their glucose yeah this is an important point actually because you know okay so if we're going to be drinking alcohol we know it's not good for us but if we can on top of that avoid the thing we're drinking, creating a spike, a glucose spike, that would be helpful, right? So the best alcohols to choose if you want to avoid a glucose spike are any wine, um, champagne, sparkling wine, totally fine. And then any spirits. So vodka, gin, tequila. Um, my God, I'm not very good at naming all these, but you, you get what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> any white, any clear or brown spirit is fine. And what you want to really be mindful of is the mixers. So for example, uh, you want to yes. avoid mixing it with fruit juice, 
mixing it with tonic water. So it's better to have a gin soda than a gin tonic. And um, on my account, I actually have that comparison. Uh, people people love seeing it. Yeah. So it's really about the mixers um, when it comes to alcohols. Um, but otherwise, the, the usual ones that people drink are, are fine. That's that's so helpful, I think, for people. Yeah. And one last thing that I, I did have on this, you know, drinks topic, um, something that becomes very popular for wanting to be healthier is it includes juicing. And I, I've seen you talk about this before as well. Can you talk about what, you know, drinking a juice might do to our body rather than just having the fruit or just having mm-hmm. the veggies? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the fruit we eat today is actually not the fruit that existed thousands of years ago. If you look at a banana from 10,000 years ago, it's tiny, it has a bunch of seeds and fiber, and it's not very sweet. Hmm. But if you look at the fruit today in our supermarkets, they're basically candy. I mean, they have been bred um, for centuries to be sweeter, to have less fiber, to be easier to eat, to be juicier, and just, you know, to, to give us a hit of dopamine, to be like, hmm. to be very sweet. So that's an important piece of information, and that's uh, something we need to be aware of when we talk about the world of fruits and vegetables. So, but this really just happened with fruit, to be honest. Like vegetables haven't been bred to be much, much sweeter. So if you take a fruit now that's very sweet, what's cool about fruit is that they have fiber in them. Um, And as I mentioned, fiber creates this protective mesh in your intestine. So when you're eating a banana, yes, you're ingesting sugar, but there's also some fiber in there. So it's helping reduce the glucose spike. Now, if we juice a fruit, let's say we juice an apple, what we're doing in the juicing process is we're literally throwing away any of the hard matter, right? We're throwing away the skin, we're throwing away all the fiber in the apple, and we're just keeping the water and the sugar. So when you drink an apple juice, you're ingesting all of the sugar of an apple, but the fiber is no longer there to reduce the glucose spike. And on top of that, you can drink an apple juice much faster than you can eat an apple. Mm. So not only is your body not protected against the sugar that's coming down, but also you're ingesting it super, super, super quickly. I mean, I can drink an apple juice in 10 seconds flat. To eat an apple, it takes me, you know, five, 10 minutes. Yeah. So you're increasing the speed and the velocity at which glucose is hitting your bloodstream and you're removing completely the protection from the fiber. So you're creating a glucose spike. Now, and I love this topic, by the way. So now think about a can of Coke. Okay. A lot of people will say, well, you know, a fruit juice from an apple is good for you, whereas a can of Coke is bad for you. There's good sugar from fruit and bad sugar from Coca-Cola. That's actually completely wrong. Because a can of Coke is just a glass of beetroot juice or just a glass of corn juice. The sugar in the Coke also comes from plants. It actually comes from vegetables. There's no difference between the sugar in a can of Coke and the sugar in a can of apple juice. Uh, so, so in conclusion, I mean, of course there are vitamins in the apple juice. That's totally fine. But that's not enough. Like if I put a bunch of vitamins in a can of Coke, you still wouldn't say it's good for you, right? Yeah. You would be like, well, it's still bad. They're the same thing. So it's really important to understand that as soon as we denature a piece of fruit, we juice it, we smoothie it, we dry it, we cook it, whatever, it becomes 
just sugar and it creates big glucose spikes in the body. So I am completely against juicing fruit. I think this is one of the things we should really try to avoid, especially as it's so rampant in how we feed our children. You know, we give them juice every morning, Mm -hmm. but those create massive glucose spikes and then big glucose crashes. And then we don't feel good. We feel tired. We feel inflamed. We gain weight. We develop fatty liver disease. I mean, the whole thing is really problematic. So back to juicing. If you're juicing vegetables, that's honestly fine because there's very little sugar in vegetables. So, you know, juice your heart out, celery juice, kale juice, whatever, it's fine. But if you're juicing fruit, look at this juice as a dessert, as a treat, as something you're eating for pleasure and use my hacks to try to minimize the impact of this fruit juice on your body. Mm. Do not be fooled into thinking that that is something that is good for your body. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. So, you know, continuing on the line of, of drinks and also kind of combined with fasting, because I know that there's a lot of people who like and are in this craze of intermittent style fasting, you know, myself being in that crew, I like to kind of delay, you know, when I eat my first meal in the day. And I know that a lot of people can notice big spikes, you know, when they have their first meal. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I tend to just wake up and have a cup of coffee. And I wanted to ask, is there something that coffee does for or, you know, is there any impact of coffee on glucose in our blood? And what would you recommend for people who fast who notice that they tend to have big spikes right when they have their first meal? So coffee, it actually seems to depend on the person, Mm -hmm. the impact of coffee. Um, And in some people, so the reason why some people will see a spike in their body after they drink just a black coffee. We're talking just coffee, no milk, no sugar to explain the spike. The reason some people see this spike is because actually the coffee is creating a stress response in their body. And, you know, I mean, some people get really anxious and jittery and a bit paranoid and panicky when they drink coffee. And a similar thing can happen in your body where coffee triggers cortisol release. Cortisol is the stress hormone. And your body in response to cortisol thinks you're going to have to run away from a tiger. So the liver pumps out a bunch of glucose into your bloodstream. And that's why you see a glucose spike. Kind of same spike as you would see when you're exercising, Dominic, and when you're playing basketball. But here you're not actually, you don't actually need the glucose for your muscles. It's just a response. So jury's out. um, And I will keep everybody updated when new science comes out on the coffee topic. But if you like it if it doesn't seem to make you super anxious or crazy jittery i mean honestly i think it's fine really i was gonna say well what now if you add something to the coffee like Mm -hmm. a milk does that change it first thing in the morning so it does first thing in the morning our body is fasted right our body is really empty and so the first thing that you eat or drink is going to make its way very quickly through your digestive system and into your bloodstream, which is why if you eat a slice of cake first thing in the morning, you'll see a bigger spike than if you eat that same slice of cake as dessert after your lunch, right? Back to my hack about having dessert instead of a sweet snack. So it's important to be mindful of what you put in your body first thing, because if you're creating a big glucose spike first thing when you wake up, you're going to be on this glucose roller coaster all day. You're going to feel tired. You're going to want to eat more sweet stuff and you're just not going to feel very good. So things to avoid adding in your coffee are sugar, maple syrup, honey, agave, whatever. It's all the same. Mm. And then when it comes to milks, 
So if you're somebody who drinks, you know, cow's milk, try to use whole milk over skim milk because the the, the fat in the whole milk in the whole milk having a hard time talking today will help will help curb any spike um, from the naturally occurring sugar in the milk. Now, if you're on the oat milk train, be careful because oat milk comes from a grain from oats. And it's actually very high in glucose. Mm. And in most people, it creates a glucose spike. If you, know, if you have other alternatives that you like as well, maybe almond milk, maybe coconut milk, macadamia nut milk, those are better options than, than oat milk. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing, <clears throat> trying to do less coffee, <laughs> a mm-hmm. little bit more turmeric, and I put almond milk in it. And it has seemed to be like totally fine for me. So nice. I've been feeling good with that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Now let's go back to fasting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I know, you know, it might change for a woman, for a man. Does that matter? And how long, you know, might a fast affect you? Mm-hmm. So here's what we know. We know that if you give somebody, if you give somebody the same amount of food um, as usual, but instead of telling them to eat that food in six small meals, you tell them to eat the food in three meals, their overall health markers improve. Mm-hmm. Their glucose levels get healthier, their body gets healthier. Um, some people even lose weight just by doing that. So we know it's better to focus your food into big meals than to be grazing all day, which is something that we've heard in the past. Now, that's all well and good. Most people do fine doing three meals a day. It's, you know, it's pretty easy and sustainable. Others are doing intermittent fasting, which is either you only eat once or twice a day or you restrict the time of day when you can eat. And it seems to be very interesting stuff. I mean, it helps people, you know, reverse a lot of metabolic conditions by just giving their body a break and giving their body time to be in fat burning mode when insulin levels are low. However, I just want us to be a little bit cautious because especially in women of reproductive age, too much fasting for too long can actually cause some hormonal dysregulation. You might miss your period, like some things might happen when you don't feel so good. So it's not clear that in women it's as beneficial as it is for men. And in fact, all the studies proving a positive impact of fasting have been done in men. So jury's still out. Start with three meals a day. If it feels really good to skip breakfast and you're totally fine, that's great. Otherwise, you know, don't force yourself. Sort of listen to your body. I think we're still in in the wake of discovering uh, a lot about this topic. But of course, it's better to not snack between meals. That we could all agree on. And I know that's just, you know, the, the one end of the spectrum, but it's important to remember. Yeah. Now, if you are fasting, as I mentioned with the coffee thing, like the first thing you'll put in your body will have a really big impact on your glucose levels. So it's really important to never break a fast with something sweet. Never, ever, ever eat something sweet first thing after the end of a fast. Always break your fast. For example, if you're just breaking your fast with a breakfast, always have a savory breakfast. And if you can, try having vegetables before anything else. So you create that protective mesh in your intestine and you help your body absorb and welcome food in a more protected environment. Mm. This crushes me because I love my morning smoothie bowls, but <laughs> but I've been finding ways. What's in your ways, smoothie bowl? 
What's in your smoothie bowl? Um, and so this is where, again, I've been finding ways to be able to incorporate these and you know do it in a way that might not impact my blood sugar as much because I really have been trying to incorporate things like frozen cauliflower to kind of fill it out you know, rather mm-hmm. than adding more fruit. So uh, yeah, I might add some blueberries, but then maybe I'll choose a half a banana that is more on the green side versus a really ripe one. And then mm-hmm. along with is it that, like an acai bowl that you make or yeah, what, I mean what's a type it? of acai bowl, but I will have like blueberries, banana, but then I'll add in frozen cauliflower, maybe half of an avocado, um, some frozen kale. And then just add water to kind of blend that all up. But then on mm-hmm. top of it, hopefully put like some hemp seeds and a little bit of almond butter and mm-hmm. things that might have, you know, a little bit less of that readily available carb. But I've also mm-hmm. kind of just been trying to push that off now in wearing these continuous glucose monitors where I will try doing something like eggs and some veg prior to, you know, maybe a few hours later having a smaller size acai bowl versus the <laughs> mm-hmm. mega <laughs> mega smoothie bowl that I used to have. <laughs> yeah, I understand. And would you ever consider like, I don't know, having a soft boiled egg with some sea salt before the acai bowl or are you kind of oh. the kind of person who can't have anything savory in the morning? No, absolutely. I would, I can absolutely do that where I would just have an egg and then, yeah, maybe eat some vegetables along with that and then go into having the smoothie bowl a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah, or have the smoothie bowl before you, you know, exercise or do basketball. Maybe keep it for the days where you know you're going to be moving around a lot so your muscles yeah. can soak it up. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Can you give but us hey, an example? It's better than having fruit juice. Like, yeah. you know, as I mentioned, it's all relative. So actually, your smoothie bowl is much better than having a bowl of cereal and orange juice. So yeah. if you really love it and you feel good, like, don't beat yourself up too much about it. Maybe try a few hacks, but if it brings you a lot of joy, there's other places in your day and in your life where you can make improvements that might be less painful because it sounds like you'd love yeah. it. Oh, for sure. And I mean, <laughs> I'm does. kind of in the same same boat as you where you say, hey, I like chocolate or I like cake. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna have the chocolate and cake when, when I want yeah. to. But finding a way to do it with a little bit more intention, a little bit more strategic approach um, mm-hmm. can, can make all the difference. And yeah, I take in this information from this glucose monitor and I try to incorporate it best I can. But I'm also going to do what I love and what I find enjoyment in and what makes me happy in life. And so how can I just maybe do that with a slight edge of more uh, strategy? (laughs) Exactly. Totally. Absolutely. And some things we don't want to get rid of in our life. Like I love pasta. I love chocolate cake. Those are just non-negotiables for me because otherwise Mm. it's not worth like living. I want to eat pasta and chocolate cake. But there's other things that I used to eat that I just can so easily do away with you know mm. like rice cake or bread before meals or any any like sweet coffee drinks like i don't even like that stuff and now that i understand everything i can be much more strategic and when i eat something sweet i do it because i really love it and because it gives me pleasure and i'm no longer prey to these crazy craving cycles i used to have unbeknownst to me i was on a glucose roller coaster and so i felt controlled by these urges to just eat anything sweet and then i would eat stuff that wasn't even good you know i would eat like gross cookies at the office or just like a granola bar from a vending machine because i was so i really wanted something sweet and so now i'm much more in control and i'm much more um I'm I'm much more in the driver's seat when it comes to mm. what I decide to eat. And I think that's makes my life so much better. I mean, that's huge. And already I was able to feel 
just a little bit of this, like I did start changing my breakfast and, and creating like I used to do. I got in a habit for like a little bit, not a whole <laughs> whole long, but I did get in the habit of having like a gluten-free bagel with eggs and and other stuff, but that spiked me. So I was like, okay, maybe not the gluten-free bagel with all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to just change the way that I was having my breakfast and then addressing the way I was having my lunch. And already we went to a friend's engagement um, and there was all these crackers and snacks and things that I'd usually just snack on the entire night. Mm. And I didn't restrict myself. It wasn't something that I was forcefully trying to white knuckle against it. It was yeah. something that I just, I had a, a few chips, but I, that that was after I had like a burger and other stuff and I just had no desire. And so it was a, such a cool experience just to be present to and observe in my mm. body of, of, I see it and I like have no desire for it. I've had a couple chips and I'm good. And to be able to feel that difference and know that I'm not doing it out of a place of restriction or force, but I'm doing it just by listening to my body and, and truly mm-hmm. being in that experience was, was such a cool thing. Yeah, because for a lot of us, we think that when we have a craving, the solution is either to give into the craving or to, you know, white knuckle, use our willpower to just not eat it. But it's it's so painful to be in that situation. And what the glucose science has helped me understand is that cravings are actually not our fault. Like if we are experiencing these intense cravings, most like more likely than not, it's because our glucose levels are dropping after a big spike. And they show this in the scientific studies. They show that when your glucose levels are dropping, even just a little bit, the craving center in your brain activates and literally tells you, please eat something right now. We're low on energy. We need to eat something right now. So once you're able to get off this glucose roller coaster, this biological response doesn't happen anymore. So as you said, you know, it's a very different experience. Now you can choose, you can be deliberate about what you eat, but you're no longer controlled by this thing. And it's so beautiful when I receive messages from people who tell me that they finally feel like not guilty anymore. They, they don't feel, they don't get down on themselves. They don't think they're a failure because often when we have cravings, we can get really harsh with ourselves and we can say, oh, I'm so lame, I can't, I can't resist this stuff. Actually, if you solve the root cause, which is glucose spikes, these things go away on their own and it's a beautiful experience. Mm. Mm, absolutely. Just so much knowledge. This podcast has been nothing short of enlightening in the space of <laughs> glucose monitoring and finding little hacks to be able to better set up your body and your physiology for life. Uh, thank you, Jesse, so much for taking the time to be with us today. Everybody needs to go check her out on Instagram at Glucose Goddess and also check out her book, which there's a link in her bio, but also it's just glucose-revolution.com. Is there anywhere else that you would want people to go to continue to learn from you and see the information that you put out? No, really, that's it. You know, the book is, I intended the book as a companion for people. I wanted to empower each and every one of you to feel better because it's not hard, but most of the symptoms that we experience on a daily basis are actually just our body telling us our glucose levels are deregulated. If you feel any of these things that we just talked about, fatigue, cravings, poor sleep, problems with your skin, weight gain, hormonal issues, anything like that, um, my book will will help you. So 
Yes. Thank you so much for having me, guys. This was a pleasure. Yes. Thank you so, so much. I'm excited to continue to follow along your journey, read your book, and just continue to learn. You're doing just that. You're empowering people with the tools, which is everything that Dom and I love to do for people and and providing it in a way that's easy and accessible. So incredible work, Jesse. We're so excited to continue to learn and just here to support any way we can. Wow, wow, wow. I feel like I could have continued to ask Jesse just so many more questions as I'm just starting to learn about this, but that's why I just went and ordered her book. Like, I'm so excited to continue to learn about this stuff, to understand my body, and just to feel my best. So, I hope that's what you really got from this. And make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on future podcasts with other incredible guests. And every Monday, Dom and I drop some knowledge on some PT pearls, meaning physical therapy, pearls of wisdom of what you could do to have less pain, more movement within your body. And we address a lot of physical therapy diagnoses. So if you haven't, please subscribe. And if you can just leave us a little rate and review, it really, really helps in order to get this message out to more people and help others feel great within their bodies.